Brian Pape is not your average entrepreneur. In 2006, a life-threatening ski accident helped inspire him to marry his sweetheart and start a world-changing, socially conscious company. Mirror is a Seattle-based product-to-project company that focuses on creating high-quality, well-designed water bottles, bikes, and bags that fund water, transportation, and education projects all over the world. Since Mirror's inception in 2009, Brian's team has funded 55 water projects, given away 4,500 bikes, and built one school. And he's just getting started. Join us as we get front row seats to watching this Seattle company become one of the most respected and profitable global brands for good. Welcome to Rise Seattle Podcast, a podcast about Seattle, the people, their stories, and Seattle's future. Here's your hosts, Phil Greeley and Tyler Davis-Jones. We're here with Brian Pape. He's the founder and CEO of Mirror. Uh, so tell us just a little bit about yourself and would love to know the neighborhood you live in. Yeah. Um, yeah, so like you said, my name is Brian Pape and I started Mirror in 2010 and we're in uh, Fremont Wallingford area in Seattle, which uh, for people who are familiar with, we're kind of by the Brooks Building, the Evo. For people who aren't familiar with it, we're by Gasworks Park, Lake Union, Fremont Brewing, um, kind of an up and coming neighborhood. Um, kind of near Ballard, kind of not. Nothing's really near Ballard though, so. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we love, we love, we love Fremont and um, yeah, it's a great, it's a great part of the, of town. I think it's, I don't know, it's, we're, I think we're lucky to be here. I mean, yeah. I love Seattle in general, but like Capitol Hill to me is like, I get anxiety when I think about Capitol Hill, right. like <laughs> parking and getting yeah. there. And I don't know, I, I just think we're in a really interesting spot in the city. Um, what do you, what do you love about Fremont? Like, tell you me know, I think, it's so accessible, you know, like it's hard, it's not hard to get to Capitol Hill, there's a lot of people live up there, but like from a bike perspective, like you can bike from here all the way out to Red Hook, you yeah. know, or like Woodenville, there's so like you have the bike trail, you have Stone, you have Fremont Brewing, you have a lot right. of great restaurants that are up and coming, you're on the water, um, right. Ballard's great, but it's so far from I-5, you know, so like Fremont has that interesting, like you can get to 99, you can get to I-5, you can get north, so you're kind of in this really cool zone where yeah. south of downtown, you don't really want to go north of downtown, so it's, yeah. I don't know. For people who are listening to this that are in Seattle are probably like, what are you guys talking about? But the traffic in Seattle is so bad. It's the worst. You don't yeah. want to move. No, totally. yeah. <laughs> Actually, don't move here because yeah, yeah. you're just going to add to the traffic. Yeah, yeah. Unless you're biking on a mirror bike. Exactly. If you're walking or biking, you can move here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so okay. can, you, can you give us the one-minute overview of what Mirror is, uh, what you do, and then maybe totally. specifically your role within the company? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Mirror, we call ourselves a product-to-project company. So every Mirror product that we sell funds a trackable giving project. Um, and that really um, kind of defines kind of what we do. I'd say why we exist as a company is to improve lives and build community through business. So, and, and more recently we've come to that, um, our leadership team, we had a meeting, um, we meet weekly and then quarterly and then annually and you know, we kind of dug deep. We're like, we love making products, we love giving back, but like why did I start Mir? Why do we exist as a company, yeah. um, as a business, not a nonprofit? And, Really, our goal is, you know, we, we want to improve people's lives, and that means getting people on the bikes here, like using our products or hiking or being active, mm. but then also giving back and improving people's lives around the world. Um, Seattle, Boise, East Africa, West Africa, um, Laos. Um, and then we want to, we, you know, we want to build community. That's part of the reason the store, uh, the flagship store is so unique is that we want to build a place that people can come in, have a coffee, have a beer, have meetings, do podcasts in their back room. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and really engage the community and have events. And it's, 
I don't know, I think people come in and they're kind of confused. And at first, you, you know, there was this like, oh no, did we mess up? Like, do we, do we not build this flagship store how everybody thinks it should be built? But then we kind of were like, no, that's, that was our goal is that people walk in and they're like, wait, so this is a brand that sells bikes, bottles, bags, but then they have 20 beers on tap and a full espresso bar. Like this yeah. is really interesting. Yeah. Um, so we, I don't know. Sometimes you feel like you're doing things just to be different for the sake of being different, but like that's kind of who we are. We right, just yeah. we're not very. Um, one of our um, core values is just being unconventional. Right. Um, and I hate saying the word like we're just trying to be unconventional for the sake of it, but right. we are just we're very unconventional. We do things differently. We, we started off selling water bottles in 2010, giving back to clean water projects, and then in 2012 we launched a bike line that gives back to bikes. Wow. We just launched a bag line um, this fall that gives back to education, and then like I said, we have beer and coffee in our store. So it's kind of this. This interesting brand, um, and I'd say kind of the, the the feel of the customer is like an active, urban lifestyle. Um, people that are in the city, but also get out on the trail and mm-hmm. hike and bike. Um, so that's kind of the that's like the one that, that's probably like a four minute version of what me. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's resonating because there's the we're recording the flagship a back room of the flagship store, and your store's packed out. Every seat's filled with people enjoying the community and the coffee and the beer. Right. We actually had to kick people out of the space. Yeah. <laughs> back here which is great yeah so uh, uh, so yeah that's and then I um, I'm the CEO and founder and so I, I started in 2010 and you know we can get into to more of why I started it but you know kind of my day-to-day is um, I'm very passionate about being the CEO we've we've um, I've been fortunate to surround myself with some incredible advisors um, we have a, an incredible CFO as well and so it's what's nice is that I do get to play the founder role and go and speak and do podcasts um, and kind of evangelize the mere brand, but I also am really passionate about business. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think a lot of times companies, you know, founders kind of take more of a founder role and just become the face of the brand. But for me, um, that's a piece of it, but I also really enjoy strategizing, selling, marketing, yeah. building product, working with the team. Um, so I'm very, very much active. Yeah, well you've done a fantastic job, like, and the mission itself is incredible. It resonates with so many people, Thank right? You. Yeah. Um, whether or not you are into outdoors, or whether you're into philanthropy, or whether you just love drinking beer, or you love <laughs> drinking coffee, I think that you just hit pretty much like 90% of the population. So, totally. um, good on you, man. Thanks. Um, and thanks for letting us be a part of it. Yeah. So. So tell me more about the, the name Mir. It's M-I-I-R, yep. right? Yep. Um, now, I know that you're an outdoors enthusiast, yeah. right? We kind of just discussed that a little bit. But is, that, is there any connection to John Muir? Yeah, so it's, um, the, name, the name Muir comes from John Muir. So it's kind of a tip of the cap to John Muir, who helped develop the national park system with FDR back in the day. Um, really incredible guy. Kind of a, kind of a weird, weird dude as well. Like If you read about him, it's like, this guy was an oddball. Uh, but did a lot of great things for our country, and so especially for the outdoors. So it's a tip of the cap to him. Mir in Russian, you know, a lot of people remember the Mir space station, so that's M-I-R. So Mir in Russian means world or peace. Hmm. So kind of two things that we're fans of as a brand, you know, we're a very global brand. We source internationally, we give internationally, um, and we're, you know, peace. If there's more peace on earth, then... It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. So that's kind of like where the name came from. Mir.com was available. So let's unpack that Genesis story then. So this was five, six years ago. You recognized a problem in the marketplace or an opening in the marketplace. And I guess what was the motivation behind starting Mir? Yeah, the, um, there's kind of two, like Mir is, is really interesting because it's, it's, this, it's this intersection of like an opportunity with making really great product, but then also like a kind of um, formation of just my life experiences. So kind of backing up pre-2010, my background, I've always kind of been, 
I don't know, quote, an entrepreneur. You know, it's one of those things where it's like, I was always starting things. Like I picked up my family's video camera in high school and started filming. And then I started filming weddings to make money to pay for new camera equipment to uh-huh. make ski films and the like. Uh, my buddy and I started like a Christmas light hanging company in college to like make much money, which is a horrible idea because it's miserable in Seattle in the winter. We had like a logo t-shirt company that was really funny. We were like making funny logo tees, um, political tees. Uh, so we were always kind of like dabbling in, in kind of small business ideas right. and just making making fun stuff. Um, but my, my grandfather started a company called Pape. It's called the Pape Group and there's lots of different entities within that. And so I kind of grew up watching my grandfather and uncle start this really successful company. Um, Pape Machinery? Yeah, exactly. So up and down I-5 corridor on the West Coast, you'll see machinery, material handling, ditch witch, Flycraft, they used to own a bank and a garbage company, all these random companies. So I, mm. um, I it's got in your to, blood. Yeah, I mean a, a little bit. Yeah, I guess I guess it's in there. But it's it's mostly just seeing the habits that he had and how he built his company. Um, and it's still they it's still privately held um, to this day. But what I thought was interesting was that the model was build this really successful company, and then after he passed away, my grandma started a foundation. And so then from there. I was involved as a trustee at a pretty young age, so I was able to see how philanthropy worked about like how you could use money for good and how you could give back to communities. And I always thought, how could you do that at the same time and not just and not that it's a bad model. I mean, that's like Bill Gates, right? Microsoft and then the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So it's it can work. But then I thought, how do you put those two together? So I've always kind of been toying with that idea, you know, as a teenager of like how do you give back while you're in business, right? Like how do you fuse those together? So that was that's kind of a component that's always kind of been in the back of my head of. How do you do this together? Um, and then another thing that just like a personal experience for me that kind of like drives a lot of who I am today is that, I mean, me 10, 15 years ago was a very different person. Um, I mean, obviously like we all, we, right. all grow, we all grow up or at least try to grow up, right? <laughs> a little bit. But um, yeah, I was just, I was very, I think coming out of high school and into college, it was like, how do I make as much money as possible? How do I provide for myself and like, chase this dream of like a big house and a family and cars and like that was kind of like my focus and then in 2006 I was in a uh, I was filming for Stevens Pass and we were making a marketing video and it was actually I think it was April 15th tax day which is kind of ironic um, but anyway it was um, I was filming on the front side of the pass and one thing led to another I was with the marketing director and a friend and when I skied with my camera I didn't have ski poles so it was just kind of like this weird thing, but this, I essentially had this kind of fluke accident. We dropped this cliff. I was skiing, tried to get out of it, ended up hitting a tree, broke my femur. Whoa. Um, and wow. hit, so I hit his tree, flipped around, and I'm laying there. And my leg is like off to the side. And my other buddy had done it like, not that same thing, but he had broken his femur like two years ago. And he's like, oh yeah, if you like break your femur, you can bleed to death in 10 minutes because if you hit your femur artery, you'll essentially bleed to death internally. Were you um, bleeding? And so I didn't know, know. yeah, so like, so I hit the tree and I'm like, my leg is definitely broken in half. So like I hit the tree, like right in the middle of my thigh, snapped in half, I'm sitting against another tree and it's like off to the right and like, and I have a photo because I had a helmet cam, so you you can see the whole thing on the camera, which is We'll put that in the show notes. Yeah. (laughs) Probably not. You can know, you can see, you can see the photo. Um, I have a photo right I'll show you guys, but it's, um, it was, it was great. Like I I literally had a life or death moment where I sat there and I thought, Oh my gosh, this is like, I could, I could die in like 10 minutes. And so I kind of just like, it was weird. I wasn't like, I didn't have like a panic attack. I was like actually pretty calm, but I thought there was like two things distinctly that I remember from that situation. The first being I was dating my now wife. We've been dating for three years. And I was like, 
oh my gosh, if I live, like I gotta marry this woman. She's incredible. Up, yeah. Yeah, I, I gotta lock this down. <laughs> um, which is probably good. That wasn't the second thing I thought of. But that was probably good that I thought of that first. <laughs> um, but the second thing I thought of was if I had a, if I if my funeral was tomorrow, like what would people say about me? Mm-hmm. And I wasn't happy with what people would say about me. I was like, you know, people will people will probably like a lot of people are probably kind. I was a social guy. I was a funny guy. Like in high school, we put a Volkswagen Beetle on top of our roof for a high school prank. Like that was, you know what I mean? Just like we'd drive around town and throw water balloons at people. You know, like just right. always up to something um, kind of funny. So, you know, people would show up, but nobody would be like, "Man, Brian left a legacy. He served mm-hmm. his community. He was he really cared about other people." Nobody would have said that. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh my gosh, like I should probably change this. Like this is not something I'm proud of if I died tomorrow. Because when you're, I mean, when you're 20 or 21 or whatever, you're not I was, thinking about this. You don't think right. about dying. You don't right. think about like, hey, you're gonna live forever. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna live forever. Or like I'll get back later, you know, or like whatever, right? And so, so that was kind of a, a wake up call for me. And so, that was 2006. So fast forward a year, 2007, we get married. 2009 is when I started working on Mirror, and that was kind of my opportunity to say, hey, let's let's fuse philanthropy and business and wow. let me let me use this opportunity to start my own business to give back in a really powerful way and um, the, the water bottle opportunity came up where we um, it was just I was working at the time uh, with this guy Rick Wood we started a company or he started I, I was his first employee called Little Hotties Hand Warmers oh, yeah. Yeah. we sold it in 2009 uh, and we were we were testing hand warmers at REI and they kind of gone through testing a bunch of water bottles and they're like yeah nobody really makes a great water bottle hmm. I was like that's weird like it's a water bottle yeah, right because you have, you have Nalgene which is great yeah. but it gets super hot exactly right? there's, it, so it there's spills always, on you because yeah. of the stupid yeah like fat. We, we made these yeah. like water beard commercials or like ads <laughs> where like people are drinking out of like Nalgene's and they had like water beards all over like we digit like we photo enhanced like all yes. these water beards off of them um, off the sh- those are hilarious that's amazing um, and he so anyway we we were sitting there, I was like, oh my gosh, we should make a better water bottle. And so like SIG, really popular time, was a fuel canister from yeah. back in the day. So it's like you're drinking out of an aluminum bottle with a safe coating. Turns out the coating had BPA in it and they lied about oh, it. Of and like SIG went out of business. They went bankrupt and then you know they reformed. But so like the Nalgene used the water, it gets hot, it's plastic. The SIG is not really, it's like a, and then there's like the whole debacle where like kids were getting their tongue stuck in bottles. On the SIG bottle? On the SIG bottle, yeah. What? So like it was on the news for like a week. It was like this whole funny thing. Um, and then Clean Canteen, you know, they're they're a great competitor of ours, but they just took an off the shelf product from China and put the logo on it and it worked. I mean, they're, they've been pretty successful, but nobody really thought like, how do we design a bottle for drinking? Which yeah. sounds hilarious, but it's like one twist opening. You can drink out of it without water spilling over your face. Right, right. So that was kind of the idea of making a really simple and, and really nice looking product. I think that's one thing for, for mirrors. We're always trying to design uh, and make sure that it looks great, functions really well. Um, my mom went to UCLA, uh, the design school. So like I've always kind of grown up with like aesthetics and how do things look and um, always kind of being creative in that. So yeah. that was, you know, one thing it was just, I don't want to take something off the shelf and put a logo on it. We want to design something that we're proud of. Right. Um, when create something. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. So that's, so that was, that's kind of like the long, long and short of like how we started and then giving back, you know, I wanted to inject that into the brand right, like from the beginning. And so while we're working on the design, I'm like, how are we going to give back, you know? And at the time, everybody was talking about reducing uh, single serving plastic bottles, mm-hmm. which is great. Like it's noble, but it's, it's not very inspiring to be like, hey, don't drink plastic water bottles, drink from this bottle. Right. Like that's, it's like the government telling you what to do. Nobody wants to be told what to do. Right. And so I was like, well, that's not, that doesn't resonate with me. Right. And then 
So I'm sitting there like watching, I don't even know what show, like um, Grey's Anatomy or something, right? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And an ad for charity water comes on and Scott breaks it down that close to a billion people lack access to clean water. Oh my God. And that's a solvable crisis. And I was like, that's it. We need to get back to clean water. Um, and so, so that was, so then we launched the brand in July of 2010. and. Every bottle we sold was giving back to clean water. Was that going back to charity water or who was that going So to while water? we had funded charity water first, these ones got built before theirs. Sometimes it just takes time for projects to get built. Mm-hmm. So in Liberia, we're working on our first water projects. We're walking everywhere. It's on the equator. It's hot. And I see people on bikes getting around. And I'm like, how do we get more people onto bikes? Yeah. I'm like, well, let's just do what we do with bottles. Let's sell, bo- let's sell bikes and then give back to bikes. Right. You know? And, uh, I come back from that trip and people are like, you're insane, that's a horrible idea, the bike industry is horrible, it's flat. I'm like, no, I think we're really onto something. And so my buddy Bryce, who started Evo, introduced me to Kevin Menard, who started Transition Bikes up in Bellingham. Okay. And I, you know, so I met with him, I was like, I have this crazy idea, I want to start this bike line, I want to give back to bikes for every bike that we sell. And he goes, I think that's nuts, but I'll help you. <laughs> um, so he helped us design and kind of find our first factories. Um, and he was really passionate about it. He and his wife had adopted a girl from Ethiopia. Oh, wow. So he had been over there and seen the need for bikes as well. So he was, yeah. it was kind of a passion project for him. So he helped us source our first line of bikes. But the, the real reason we got into bikes beyond the give was that we saw an opportunity to sell direct to customers. Mm-hmm. So we basically approached REI in 2012 because I remember my, one of my other buddies from Little Hotties Hand Warmers, mm-hmm. he took one of our bikes, one of our sample bikes that we made into REI headquarters, was riding around, showed it to all his buyer friends because he used to be a buyer at REI. Of course he did. So he goes to the bike buyer and he's like, Mark, you gotta check out Mir, this is a new bike brand. He goes, oh sweet, I'll be at Interbike, I'll just meet with him then. So Matt calls me, he's like, hey dude, Mark's gonna meet with you at Interbike, are you going? And I was like, uh, no. He's like, well, it's two weeks, you should probably go. <laughs> so I call up Interbike and they're like, it's sold out. I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, I need a booth. Like, I have to be there. <laughs> so they somehow they, they found a booth space for us. We put it on our credit card. We drove down to Vegas, wow. uh, set up a booth, met with REI in Vegas for like an hour. And wow. then, which is hilarious because they're down the street. You know? Yeah, of course. Um, and Mark goes, yeah, I'll, I'll give you guys a shot. You know, so he, he took a flyer on us and we got into five doors. Yeah. Um, and then the flagship, right? Like, yeah. That was one of the original. I remember yeah. walking in the flagship. I was like, hey, that's prize bike. Yeah, yeah awesome. exactly. Yeah. Um, so then fast forward, you know, we've, we've sold over, I think like 4,500 bikes, yeah. um, you know, f- from the business. And then REI expanded our kids' bike to all doors and Amazon's doing well with it. And, uh, wow. So yeah, that's like a really roundabout way. And, and well, and then bags. So bags came from Liberia too. So yeah. when we were in Liberia, uh, there was the group that was working on the water projects. They had a K through six school that they ran next to their house. Mm-hmm. And this guy, Prince Kondo, is very methodical. He'll build like a foundation and then host schools outside and then save up money and then like build the wall, save up money and then build the roof. So he's not like, I need 50 grand to build a school. He's like, no, I'm just going to start simple and then like build sure. it up slowly. Yeah. Uh, so we're in Buchanan, Liberia, and we're like, do you guys have a high school? He's like, no, sixth grade is the highest form of education kids will ever receive here. Whoa. We're like, well, how do we help like build a high school? In so Liberia like, itself, or is that? Just Buchanan. Just so Buchanan, Buchanan is like 200, 300,000 people, okay. so it's about two hours from the capital, yeah. um, driving, maybe three. So he, so like, Kondo goes back into his house, and he comes out with like these, these blueprints that he's like hand-drawn. <laughs> And he's like, I want you guys to have this. And we're like, do you have a copy of these? Like, he's like, no, no, I have other copies. We're like, all right, sweet. So he's like, just think about it. So he has, he has this like, by the way, he, he's an incredible, he like, you should do a podcast just on him. He like taught himself to read and write, read and write as an adult. What's his name again? Uh, Prince Kondo. And Prince is like a common name in yeah. West Africa, apparently. Cause people are like, is he actually a prince? I'm like, I think he's a king, but uh, yeah, right. he's incredible. He's incredible. Um, 
taught himself to read and write as an adult. During the Liberian Civil War, he like had to stay inside for 10 years. Because if you were like out, you got like, you had to be Ducked on one side or the other, or, yeah, like you had yeah. to fight. So like he basically stayed indoors. His wife kind of worked and helped out. So anyway, he has this Whoa. incredible story, but he's like, yeah, I taught myself to be a carpenter. And he's like, so he teaches This is without like, YouTube. Yeah, exactly. Right? This is like no YouTube. He just wow. figures it out. So he has these plans for high school. And we're like, how do we help with this? He's like, well, we can help contribute to labor. Let's work with the government to get some land. So then um, my friends and family and I helped build the school apart from Mir. And I got finished last, last January, they finished the school. Um, and our new bag line is helping fund some of the you know, final components of like desks and chalkboards and teacher salaries. Wow. Um, so that was kind of the, the, the idea with the school was how do we, how do we have another product that gives back to education? And the bike or the, the bags were a great answer. And the, and the bags also kind of round the product line because people are like bottles, bikes, and then bags, bags. is kind of like, makes sense, beer, you know? Yeah, no, <laughs> just be alliteration. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Anything that has right. a beer, like we'll totally, we're all yeah. game. Yeah. All right, sweet. That's amazing. So is it primary focusing on Liberia now? Is that your only... No, so we've, we've, still... um, we've given, gosh, I, I want to say in like 17 countries or so. Wow. So we've, from Myanmar to Laos, um, and it's, it's, it's once, you, once you like find your tribe and like your people, mm -hmm. like opportunities just pop up. Can I dial into the, um, the social component? So yeah. the, the social component of Mir was kind of founded out of this very personal experience, right? Um, but you also have to keep the lights on. And so as a business owner, how do you, how do you balance that need for making money, yeah. but also wanting to give back and support people? Totally. I, I mean, it's a great question. And last year was kind of our proving ground. So it took us, what, five years? So last year was our first profitable year where we tripled sales, we were profitable, and we gave 5% of our total revenue. So cool. So 5% of total revenue. So a lot of times, we, we don't really talk, I mean, we talk a little bit about like percent of revenue. Mm -hmm. we, we like to talk about the actual impact per product because it's more meaningful and customers attach more to that. Um, and then also, there's a lot of manipulation on like, oh, we give back 10% of profits. And it's like, well, if you're not profitable, then you're not giving back, right? right. Like, if a CEO pays himself $300,000 a year, that comes out of your profitability so then you're only giving on like the very bottom so like we all we always talk about how much we give on a top line and it, it varies per year based upon if we sell more bikes or more bags or whatever it is uh, right. depending on the product but for us we get five percent of our total revenue which is top line revenue um, mm -hmm. which was a lot of people are like that's like that doesn't happen mm -hmm. you're like no it does happen because we baked it in from the beginning like we right. have operated our company on the assumption of like this is how much we're gonna give back and we're gonna make it work um, so it's so it's a challenge. I mean, if we, if, you know, if we continue not to make money, eventually we'd be like, okay, we either need to like give less or yeah. throw in the towel. I mean, there were, and there were so many times where, you know, we, I definitely thought about throwing in the towel. Yeah. I mean, there's so many, so many times looking back and it's, but the, there's a balance and it's, it's hard because there's, if you give too little and you make it a big deal, people think you're like social washing. They think you're just trying to sell product by kind of giving back, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think for us, we like going back to product to project, we're very much a product based company first. Mm -hmm. Like we sell a product and we have to make the best product. So the way that we kind of view product is that we strip away the social enterprise piece when we create a product or create the design. We're like, how do we make this the best possible product that can now compete Clean Canteen, Yeti, Hydro Flask? How do we beat right. them at product? Because then if you put the social component back in, it's way more powerful. Then yeah. it's like, then people don't feel like they're just buying it because they feel good about themselves. Right, like, right. that's great, but we want people to buy it because it's the best yeah, product yeah. and it gives back. There's a balance there and it's, I mean, it's not easy. You know, you look at like, 
gosh, how much we've probably given 300, I think I can't remember the, the last time it was 350,000 to $400,000 in the course of five years. Oh and so gosh. it's, um, wow. yeah, which is really, it finally feels the first couple of years were hard because it felt almost in a weird way, selfish of like, mm-hmm. Oh, I'm starting this because I want to feel good about giving back. Mm. When in reality, it's like, okay, if I was just working at Amazon and giving like part of my salary away, that'd be more than twelve thousand dollars a year or whatever, yeah. right? But yeah. now it's like, man, we've created something that's bigger than myself. Like, it has momentum. Yeah, yeah. It has momentum and it's building. Um, but the, yeah, that balance that balance is tough because like you can't, you can't, you could definitely overgive yourself out of business, and then it's like, right. well, then you're not helping anybody. Right. But I think that's what's unique about business is you have this opportunity to compete in the marketplace and to go out and to take business and to get new business and all that new business means that we get to give back even more. Yeah. So like, that's what I, cause I'm super competitive. So, right. you know, like you ask anybody on the mirror team, it's like anytime we take an account from Hydroflask or clean, like I get so pumped, you know, or like, <laughs> if we, if we, we, very, we rarely lose, but when we do, it's like, oh man, like, right. Well, and who am I going to go with the guy who's giving $400,000 away to water projects? Yeah. <laughs> or am I going to go with, you know, a competitor? And I think that's a brilliant idea. Um, but you're doing it in such a way that is not, um, it doesn't look selfish. It doesn't look like, look at me, I'm this guy, right? Yeah. Because it is such a quality product. Well, so. and people that might not be familiar with Mirror come for the product because it's good. Yeah. And then yeah. you build that loyalty because of what you're doing on the totally. backside. Yeah. Totally, yeah. Man, so good. All right, so shifting gears a little bit. I know yeah. you and your wife yeah. just had a daughter. Yep, yep. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So yeah, the, the dad stash is going strong, the sleep. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's my, my wife and I were just talking about this, and it's it's interesting because obviously everybody is born, like, duh, yes. you know. <laughs> but you think about like there's this club or like thing that you join that you don't really know, but yep. billions of people have been a part of this. Yeah. But yet, regardless of like billions of people doing this, it's still the most special and crazy thing that you'll I think I'll ever yeah. experience. You know, and it's it's uh, awesome. I don't know. It was overwhelming. Like I was, I'm, I was totally bawling my eyes out. Like, yeah. you know, like once she was delivered, I was like, I couldn't even talk because I was like crying. <laughs> oh man, I love uh, that so much. But it's yeah. yeah, she's she's great. She's taking it easy on us. I mean, she just eats, sleeps, and hangs out. Sweet, and, healthy, uh, happy. All that yeah, stuff. mom's doing great, and um, yeah, it's it's been it's been I don't know. My wife's a rock star. She was she was incredible. Um, pretty quick. I mean, everything went really well, and it was. I don't know. Yeah. In the last two weeks have been nice to like not really work. That's awesome. I mean the timing the timing has been really great. And I, I gotta I gotta say for, for entrepreneurs who are starting their business while they have a kid or like maybe still not to that, that point of like tipping point or like momentum, hats off to you guys because right now I feel like I have it easy where we mm. have like a leadership team, we have people who are stepping up and I can just take a you know a couple weeks off and I'll take some more time off this summer. But mm-hmm. if I were to try to do this two or three years ago, like, oh man, that'd be, yeah. it'd be so difficult. Yeah. Cause people are like, how do you do it as a dad in like a business? And I'm like, man, I feel like I'm in a really good place with business yeah. that I'm a lot, that I can do it. Um, That's so cool. I don't know. Okay. So looking at, <clears throat> you have this daughter, you, you have this family, um, your daughter one day, cause I remember asking my dad the same thing. Uh, your daughter one day will say, um, dad, what did Seattle look like? You know, when I was born, because we're in this thriving, really exciting atmosphere. What, how would you describe Seattle to her? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And Seattle is kind of this booming metropolis that's, that's kind of come of age, you know? And, and I'd probably tell her, you know, about Seattle 
when I first came here, you know, 10 plus years ago and uh, that there was things going on. There's always been a lot going on in Seattle. You know, you have Microsoft, you have Starbucks, Costco, REI, T-Mobile. I mean, there's so many big businesses here. Um, but I'd also describe to her that it was a time where, you know, people could start their own companies and do things in a time where it's so much more accessible to, you know, capital, resources, yeah. tools online. I mean, now is the time. I mean, it'll only get better and better, I think, yeah. you know, as people, as kind of barriers to entry kind of break down. Um, yeah. There's a great community in Seattle. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of exciting technology that's happening. You know, there's, everyone talks about Silicon Valley and it's, you know, it's great and there's a lot of cool things going on there, but it's, you know, the whole like San Jose Cupertino strip is just kind of like Applebee's. And, yeah. Like, you know, yeah. it's just, yeah. it's not that interesting. And, you know, and the, the, I think what's cool about Seattle is you have a lot of tech and a lot of people responding to that. So Amazon's kind of been this sleeper that everyone's like made fun of because they haven't made money and they, they've taken all the money they've made. They just continue to reinvest back into their company right. to start new channels of business. And everyone's kind of like not taking them seriously until this year. Yeah. I think everyone's like, oh my gosh, we totally underestimated the power of Amazon. Everybody's <laughs> quarterly reports were down in more retail than tech, but right. Amazon blistering first quarter, everyone's like, oh my gosh, this company's legit. Yeah. And they're making some serious headway on so many different levels. So now you have you know Facebook up here, Google up here, they're trying to recruit from there, Microsoft. So you have all this like weird tech poaching like thing, yeah. um, which is good. And it's, you know, the other, I'd say the other thing is that like, there's also the negative where housing housing prices are rising, you know, people have to commute further, um, you know, so it's, it's definitely an interesting time for, for people that are living in Seattle. I, um, has the housing affected you guys at all? Like, do you guys own or do you rent? There's your, we have a con, so we, own, yeah. we bought a condo, gosh, like, I don't even know what years it is. It's, it's uh, yeah, I just woke up because, uh, <laughs> I put my daughter to sleep. Uh, Eight years ago, I think we we bought yeah. a condo on the east side that we rent out now. We moved cool. over here. You know, we looked at buying in the Fremont area, and a it's really expensive. Yeah. For something that you'd have to fix up yourself, yeah. you know, or yeah, like pay to do it. Yeah. And I could probably do it myself, but I don't have the time, and I don't want to focus on that. Right. right? And so we ended up we ended up renting, and rents just, you know, I think you just it's you know we're allocating more money to rent than we would have thought, but mm -hmm. at the same time. We're up the street, so I walk to flagship where we're at today. Our yeah. office is down the street, so I walk to our office. I walk to flagship. I walk to our gym. I walk to the store. Nice. So that, yeah. you know, so in one sense, we're saving on gas, and it's almost like we don't need our car unless we leave town. So we do travel a lot, so we kind of need a car. But right. the walkability of Seattle is really nice. Yeah, that's great. Very cool. Um, what's kind of your biggest hope right now? Which I mean, I know you've spoken to the the aspect of like this thriving tech culture, but what, what do you hope for Seattle long-term, let's say 20 years down the road? Um, you know, I think, I think my, my hope for Seattle is that, you know, it continues to innovate and be a leader for, for attracting really good talent. Yeah. But then the flip side is that you see a lot of homeless, you see this kind of transient community of people who haven't quite, you know, made it into the workforce or they've fallen out of the workforce and there's, you know, and it, it's there's definitely a debate down in, in city council and just in the city in general of like, you know, how, what is that balance of caring for homeless, yet is there like a fostering, you know, like it's not encouragement of it, mm -hmm. but it seems as though when I talk to people who are, uh, you know, living on the streets or, or moving around, 
have come to Seattle because it's so tolerant mm-hmm. of homelessness, which is good and bad, right? Like it's good in the sense that like, yeah, we want to love our neighbors and care for them. But right. it's on one sense, it's like, how do we make sure that we encourage them to kind of help themselves and not just, yeah. you know, live in a parking lot where there's a bunch of tents, mm-hmm. you know? And um, so there's a lot of issues there. And I, I just have my hope for the Seattle, for Seattle in the future is that we somehow figure out, you know, how to, how to care for those people you know, but not make it so that every single homeless person in the U.S. wants to move to Seattle just because yep. they get a free handout, right? So, like, yeah. how do we... And I don't I don't have the... I certainly don't have the answer. Um, yeah. But it's an issue that I can see getting a lot worse before it gets a lot better, which is which is scary. You know, walking walking from here to Flagship, it's not dangerous by any means, but every once in a while you'll see, you know, brown paper bags and beer, which isn't that big of a deal, but if you see a needle, it's a little mm-hmm. more concerning. Or walking under 99 to the other side of Fremont, you know, it's... Yeah. I wouldn't let my daughter walk there you yeah know? you yeah, know there's totally. there's there's guys living on the bridge and right. i'm sure they're fine but it's um it's just a concern that i hope we can figure out yeah that's good are there any particular organizations that you or mirror partners with to attack homelessness or is that maybe a long-term uh goal because i know you guys you know it's yeah i think you know we've looked at um there's definitely some interesting product in the future that will um hopefully get to, uh, yeah. I'd love to figure out how to use our brand to contribute to the, you know, reduction of homelessness, the caring of people, the, the re-entry into workforce. Um, yeah. Union Gospel Mission does a fantastic job. Yeah, totally. Um, been involved with them for a little while. There's another group and I'm totally... Mary's uh, Place? Yeah, yeah, Mary's Place yeah. is uh, up in 99. Yeah. Um, that does a really, really great job. There's... Um, uh, Operation Night Watch, mm-hmm. where they're doing, you know, they're just they're going around and, you know, they're they're just loving on people, giving them food, socks, you know, just a yeah. blanket. So it's it's things like that where it's it's great, and then it's like, okay, what's that next step of like how do we how do we help people who you know whether there's mental issues, whether there's um, yeah, there's I think there's a lot of brokenness right where people aren't really motivated to go and get a job which is maybe understandable if you know everyone in their family died and I think that's what's interesting is when you talk to people who are homeless a lot of times it's man these were normal people Mm -hmm. but you know quote unquote normal people before Mm -hmm. and maybe they didn't have a big family and the only person in their family died Mm -hmm. and they ran out of money and yeah now they're on the corner by five right you know I think I think typically at least for myself sometimes I'm like oh this person like they've always been homeless or they've, they've chosen this. And it's like, eh, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's the right assumption, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's a good word, man. Uh, shift gears a little bit. So, um, you know, you guys are doing well. Uh, you had said that every quarter you're growing, you know, um, what is it like running a business in Seattle? Um, you know, you being from Boise, Yep. uh, I'm from Nashville, Tennessee originally. Right. So, so like I, I look at that and I, I see kind of that smaller town and I go, man, it would be so much easier and cheaper really to live in a place like that. Um, what is it like running a business in Seattle? What are the pros? What are the cons? Totally. Great question. I, you know, I, th- I think for a while I struggled with this where I thought, man, I can move to Idaho and it'd be a lot cheaper or I can move somewhere else. Right. And I think, you know, on one, on one hand, it's you know, my family's always like, come back and move to Boise, you know, and I look at like what I can sell my condo for and I can buy like a, you know, four bedroom house with yes, a pool up in the hill, course. right? Like, <laughs> and a five minute walk to downtown because it's right next to downtown, you know? So like yeah. there's a, on paper, you're like, ooh, Boise doesn't look so bad. And then I go and visit and I'm like, 
yeah, there's some stuff going on, but it's a, you know, it kind of makes me rethink about Seattle where there's, you yeah. know, we live in this, this city that on one hand is expensive. Um, on the other hand, we have connections at Microsoft. REI is one of our big partners and they're down the street and they come up and we have meetings in our flagship and drink beer with them. And, um, even Starbucks, you know, like having that local connection, you know, and, and for anybody who wants to start a business where, you know, selling or working with large companies is a big piece of your business, yeah. man, move to that city because yeah. we've won a lot of business just by quote unquote being in Seattle. It wasn't just because we were in Seattle they chose us. It's a combination right. of like, we make great product, we're professional, right. we do a good job, but you have the relationship, being relationship, having that relationship, yeah. being local, they like that. Yeah. You know, they like that you're here, you can take care of them, you can meet with them. For as much as technology will improve, there's nothing like face to face and just that comfort of like, oh, I can, I know where this guy is and we can talk. Yeah. You know, so I think that's the definitely a pro of Seattle is there's so many yeah. things going on. There's a lot of talent. Yeah. But with that talent and all the tech appealing to that talent, it's expensive, you know, yeah. so it, it costs a lot of money to hire people. Is is most of your business this is just a question I thought of, but is most of your business done through retail stores or are you doing a lot of it online? What is what is that business? I'd say it's probably maybe right now like 80, 20, you know, mm -hmm. like store online to other retailers, mm -hmm. you know? So we do a lot of um, collaborations. Like we're a very collaborative brands. So we work with REI, Patagonia, um, Whole Foods. That one's more just traditional wholesale, okay. um, but a lot of breweries, coffee shops, retailers right. who we co-brand with. Um, Actually, I co-brand co with yeah. you guys. Yeah. You yeah. 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 yeah, that's yeah. great. Yeah, we, we love it. We love the um, kind of collaborative nature cool. of that piece of the brand. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, some, every once in a while I look at Idaho and I'm like, ooh, so, <laughs> so tempting. That makes sense. <laughs> and the, you know, the dirty, I don't know, it's not, it's not a dirty secret, but it's like, it's not that rainy in Seattle. Right, like, right. It's, it's more the gray. That's the, that's the illusion is everyone's like, yeah. oh, it rains so much in Seattle. If you look at the top 10 rainiest cities by volume in the U.S., yeah. it's not Seattle. Like Seattle's not even the top 10. You yeah. know, it's, and it's like Atlanta's up there and you're like, what? Yeah, it's gray. The gray is what gets you. Yeah, um, but if you get out and ski and go to the east side of the state, it's fine. That's the key right yeah, there. Yeah. yeah, makes sense. Okay, so we're sitting in the flagship store right now. You guys have been here for one year. You just celebrated celebrated your first anniversary. Um, we actually are going to be meeting with Susie Burke, who I believe owns the land she underneath. Does. She does. Uh, she where owns like standing. all the land. Yeah, <laughs> she owns Fremont pretty much. Yeah. Um, why Fremont? Why'd you choose it? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I'm excited to listen to the, uh, the Susie Berg interview. She's yeah. a fascinating lady. Um, very smart. Feisty. Feisty and owning all the land. Yeah. And just like, deal with it. Which yeah. is like, I guess you can if you own all the land. You're like, yeah, 100 year lease. That's sure. it. I'm not going to sleep. All right, done. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, sorry, what was the question? So, what, yeah. <laughs> no, no worries. You just gave a pitch to our you know, yeah, second yeah. episode, so that's great. Um, Okay, so we're in this space. The community has obviously responded really well. Um, has there been any, any backlash? I, I know, particularly with this building, at some point Fremont was pushing back, but are there people who are just like, I hate Mir, yeah. what are you doing here? <laughs> you know, we haven't heard that yet. Um, <laughs> you know, no, no protests out in front have happened quite yet. Uh, I, would, I will say though that there was, I remember hearing in the news about the building because they had to, I want to say the height is maybe like max three or four stories yeah. and they had to kind of break that to go to five or six and the agreement was <clears throat> it's going to be part of this pilot program for deep green and right. 
I'd say most people in Seattle were totally stoked and fine with it. And people, if you're at walk around the neighborhood, wouldn't even they be like, yeah, what? Like they wouldn't yeah. even know. And I think some of the neighbors who have been here forever who don't want Fremont to change mm-hmm. are probably a little upset. Mm-hmm. But hopefully they gotten over it because I think we're providing a great value to the community with our space, Brook space, the restaurant. Yeah, you know, and and, and change. I mean, the neighborhood's changing. You know, it's um, you know if you've been here for fifty years and you don't want to change. Uh, there's not much you can do. There's a lot of momentum behind Right, there. right. Well, and again, you have the Burke family pushing totally. that forward as well. Totally. So. And it's, I mean, I yeah. think, that, you know, there's a lot of good, st- I mean, the ironic piece is I think some of these people who are upset about it, it's like, well, their homes are probably worth double what they used to be because yeah. of the development, right? Yeah. Makes sense. Or triple. Or triple. Or <laughs> you know, depending on what they bought. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, okay. So you're, you're obviously you're an idea guy. Um, you love big ideas. Uh, any big ideas on the horizon that you want to maybe let us in on? Yeah, so we've, um, Adam, our product and brand manager, just got back from East Africa. He was in Zambia and Uganda um, documenting our water projects, our bike program over there with World Bicycle Leaf. Um, and he was over there filming VR. So I think, yeah. you know, we're tinkering with VR. The, I think the fun part about VR is that nobody knows what they're doing for yeah. the most part. I mean, like, yeah, there's some good VR experiences, but it's still so new. Yeah, that everybody's just trying to figure it out, but I think VR has—it's um, finally at a place where technology can support the concept of it. Mm-hmm. It's still pretty early, but that's something that we're working on to let our customers experience the give in a really unique way. When you yeah. put on the headset, it's like you look around, you can see the bicycle assembly shop in yeah. Zambia, and it's unbelievable. It's like mind blowing, right? Yeah. So I think continuing that um, so it can have in-store experiences you can imagine all the products coming with like a Google Cardboard or something mm-hmm. um, so that's I'm pretty excited about that big idea cool um, you know continue our retail growth I think I think when people walk in that's they are like oh this is an interesting concept and then it's like they're very they should be very comfortable with our staff is very friendly smells like coffee there's an enjoyable piece of it and I don't, and not that we did it for the sake of being different or revolutionary, but like experiential retail, I think we're kind of at the forefront of it. And people are starting to notice that like, oh, wow, what Mir is doing is actually very unique. Yeah. Nobody is really serving coffee and beer in a genuine way. And then also incorporating that into their brand. Yeah. Um, so like really continuing that across the nation, you know, where yeah. looking at other cities to do that in. Yeah. You, you really think that it's going to expand in other cities too? Oh yeah. 2017. Heck yeah, year. dude. Yeah. I'm excited. The one thing I'm a little nervous, I just, there's there's a market correction coming at some point for sure. Yeah. Like, and that's just the paranoid business. Word on the street. It's 2018. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Right. (laughs) But it's, there's something, something's going to happen at some point and not that you want to let that like completely affect your decision, but it also does, you know, affect your business and growth. But, but yeah, we're, we're very much um, after a year in we're we're doing well and we'd love to see this in places like potentially Portland or Denver or Nashville. You know, I think, I think when you kind of look at that, um, Venn diagram of specialty coffee, craft beer, social enterprise, community. There's yeah. a lot of a lot of towns now that you know kind of accept that and support that. You yeah. know the Austins of the world. Yeah. Um, you know things like that. So as the brand grows, I'd love to see more spaces like this around the U.S. and potentially around the world. So yeah, I love it. We'll man. That's huge. Very cool. Um, all right, so where can people follow you, follow Mir, all that stuff? Yeah, so Mir.com, at Mir on Instagram, yeah. Twitter, 
Snapchat, I can't even remember what we're at. We don't Snapchat much. Okay. It's a lot of Does anyone really? I think a lot of people I mean, who don't have jobs do it. Yes. Maybe, you know, see? Like. <laughs> or maybe there's an age demographic. I don't know. I got on Snapchat and I was like, this interface makes no sense. Oh man, I felt so old on that. I'm interface. so old. My, uh, I did start doing it for a family wedding. My uncle, he works at Uber. I think he's the oldest person at Uber, and he's like 50, which yeah. is funny. <laughs> he and I Snapchat, so it's really funny. Like these two older guys, like trying to figure out Snapchat. <laughs> it's, um, that's I don't know. I don't, that one's interesting to me. I'm like, ah, maybe, maybe not. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mirror is at Mirror Flagship on Twitter, Instagram. Okay. You can. I don't really tweet. My, my, you might as well just go straight to Instagram for me. Okay. My, Brian Pape. At Brian Pape. At Instagram. Cool. Um, the only thing I post on Twitter is from Instagram. Well, okay. One last question for you. So, you know, your family has made a, a tremendous impact on the business world, um, uh, sp- especially West Coast, but really around the world. Um, you're leaving a legacy. Um, what is the, the greatest lesson that you've learned, whether it's from your family or from your, from your parents or whatever? Um, that you can leave us with? Yeah, uh, great question. I think, so one of our, uh, Dennis Madsen, he's the former CEO of REI, he's on our um, advisor team, and he he had said one of the things that I always carry with me is that it's not a, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. Yeah. And I always remember that. In, the, in this hyper-fast economy and just everyone, you know, fast fashion, everything is like, ah, I gotta go as fast as possible, and get the biggest fast, multiple, yeah. and it, but, uh, yeah. and it's, it's a little, it's a little refreshing to be like, Okay, if we really want to be a legacy brand, mm-hmm. we have to look at this as a marathon and not a sprint. And what that means is, yeah, you want to push fast and have design sprints and coding sprints and like do things efficiently. Right. But it's you know you're not trying to blow up your team and get everybody working eighty hours a week right. as much as possible. You know, I think I think there's something to be said, and it's it's definitely. I think it's sexy. A lot of people probably in the tech, like just the culture, don't think it's sexy, but like just really good, consistent year of year growth in mm-hmm. a lot of different things. I think that's a really good approach from like from fitness to eating to just living of not trying to like do everything all the time, but just yeah. pacing yourself. So yeah, I, I, I'll never forget Dennis saying that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. Uh, mirror.com. If you, uh, if you have any questions or anything like that, go to it, check it yeah. out. Buy their growlers, come to the flagships on Stoneway and 34th. And uh, yeah, thanks so much, man. Yeah, thanks for letting us tell the story. Sounds good. If you're like us, you love all that the rise of Seattle has to offer. But this economic rise also brings difficulties. Next episode, we discuss the difficult topic of sex trafficking. If you're wondering how Seattle is involved and how you can make an impact, you won't want to miss it. In 2008, there was a study that was done out of the University of Washington, uh, Dr. Deborah Boyer, uh, that confirmed that there were between three and 500 underage girls being sold for sex in King County alone, the vast majority of which were local. So we need to respond to that in some, some way. Rise Seattle was produced and recorded by the very talented Brett Baird. A special thanks to Bravery Music for our intro and outro music. You can contact us and find all of the show notes and episodes on our website, Rise Seattle Podcast. You can also connect with us on social, Instagram and Twitter, at TheRiseSeattle, and use hashtag RiseSeattle to be a part of the conversation. Please subscribe to our podcast and write us a very nice five-star review on iTunes. We would be grateful. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you in two weeks for our next episode.